I'm Trisha, and welcome to Is It Recess Yet? Confessions of a Former Child Prodigy, a podcast about my years as a teenage concert violinist and my quest to evolve beyond that identity. Follow me on my journey, and along the way, you'll get an insider's look into the classical music world and listen to conversations with innovative artists who are forging new and playful paths into creativity. So let's go. Because I think I hear the recess bell. My guest today is Sarah Carter, and this is part two of our conversation, a continuation from last week's episode. Sarah grew up in Seattle, where she studied cello with Richard Aaron and Toby Sachs. She soloed with the Cleveland Orchestra and the Seattle Symphony as well as performing recitals at the La Jolla and Ravinia Music Festivals. She was a participant at the Staines Institute at the Ravinia Festival and the Marlboro Music Festival. Sarah graduated from Harvard University with honors in psychology in 2004. She briefly attended the Juilliard School for Graduate Studies, but along the way started to explore other career options, and after multiple odd jobs and hours of undergraduate science coursework, she attended medical school at Wake Forest University. Sarah subsequently completed an internal medicine residency and chief residency at Providence Portland Medical Center. Wanting to pursue a longtime interest in practicing medicine in a small community, Sarah currently works as a hospitalist in Walla Walla, Washington. In her free time, she enjoys adventuring outdoors with her two rescue dogs, cooking elaborate meals, strength training, and Sarah's also working on writing her first book. I do want to get to what's, what are the things that you think you, you did gain from having the experience that you did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what are some of the skills or benefits of having had that really intense first chapter of your professional life as a child prodigy? And are there ways that that training served you, continues to serve you now. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? So (laughs) I think just to back up a little bit, you know, when I first was kind of grappling with this idea of moving away from a musical career, I mean, there was a whole series of different emotions that happened. And for some time, I actually felt like a lot of um, a lot of really intense resentment. Like I felt like like I didn't really have a childhood, and I didn't have you know like I talked to other people who had these you know experiences growing up where they were just they had this like freedom and you know um, and I really felt like stunted in a way because I felt like I couldn't. I couldn't get my mind beyond like doing the thing that was like right or was like the obvious next step. Like I couldn't, like I couldn't sort of look to the sides, you know, eventually I got to a point where I was like, well, (laughs) that is who I am. Like, this is who, like, I have to, I can either grow from this point or not. You know, I started to kind of move beyond that a little bit. And I think one of the things I realized that, I had really gained from having this very intense experience in childhood um, was frankly, just like perseverance generally. Like I feel like I, even when medical school and residency were like really tough, it didn't seem 
as hard to me as like locking myself in a practice room for six hours and just, you know, practicing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Um, I think I have an ability to kind of sit and exist in, I mean, it sounds kind of weird, but actually in like painful or like uncomfortable situations with patients and their families, I think because I'm, I've also had this experience of like real discomfort um, and that we can sort of relate that way. You know, I kind of referred to the creative piece. I, I think that there is like a flexibility that I have in my thinking that allows me to approach problems at work from a variety of different angles that I think I attribute to, you know, growing up playing music. I think there is so much good that comes out of both being committed to a task or a practice every day and also just being immersed in like some of the most beautiful music that exists, you know, that I think there are just these really powerful kind of intangible benefits to the brain and to cognition and the way we sort of move through the world um, that, that affect me in a positive way every day. And you were talking about creativity and you were saying I could, it really resonated with me when you said, oh, people make assumptions that you've had this musical training, which means that you're creative. <laughs> and I, I too have, it's only been in the last few years that through this active mm -hmm. departure from classical music training, I have deliberately put myself in situations that are number one uncomfortable which sounds like you did as well and also tried to seek out situations where I could be where I could witness other ways of 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 having a creative practice or, or being a maker of things or um and so I think what you're describing this sort of flexibility of mind which seems like it came from your training is a kind of creativity I've also found that the flexibility that I've had to be open to made me very uncomfortable initially because it is actually quite antithetical to my experiences as a classical musician which is pretty rigid and pretty you know it's regimented so I wonder if you could talk about like, um, well, I mean, we can talk about it. Basically what I'm getting at is like you and I have talked about how classical music for all of the sort of aesthetic beauty and the practice of it is really about reproducing the same thing over and over again at a very high level. Mm -hmm. um, and so that although there's creativity at play, that it's actually not it's a it's not quite the same kind of creativity as um you know approaching a patient and looking at their case and trying to see all the possible variables and the sort of like as you've said multiple times in a beautiful way the messiness of humanity or you know um writing a piece of music or writing text that yeah. is just you know there are no rules um mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about that yeah so i think creativity is like one of the things <laughs> that's really been occupying like a huge amount of my brain space lately, I agree with you in that. I, I think there is this notion, you know, that, you know, obviously being a musician is, you know, you're sort of embracing this creative life, but at classical music, the way I experienced it was creative in a very, um, within a very small window, you know, 
I even remember at one point, like <laughs> in my 20s, I was like hanging out with someone and he was, he was like, you know, like, let's improvise on our instruments. And I, it made me cry. Like the thought of that was so terrifying to me that like, I just burst into tears. And anytime anyone ever asked me to improvise on the cello, I just could not do it. Like, I still can't do it. Like, it's just so, like, it's so far out of my realm of like, comfort. And it's so antithetical to what we were taught. Um, but it's, there's something about it also being like, with the instrument that I'm supposed to have this expertise at that just makes it like very emotional. Like, oh, yeah. Thing. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, I mean, I've thought about that a lot recently and I've, I've kind of had this personal realization that in order for me to really explore creativity, it, it actually has to do nothing with the cello at this moment in my life. Yes. <laughs> me preach girl. That's how I feel too. <laughs> so, I've like, you know, I took like a watercolor class a few months ago, and like painted this little goose. Yay! And like, you know, in that hour or 90 minute long class, it's like, I felt so many emotions. It's like, I get in there and I'm like super self-conscious. And then I start like painting the little goose. And like, you enter this like flow state where you are somehow are like not really caring. And then like, you step back and you're like, wait, this sucks. I'm like, <laughs> whole range of emotions um but I can always come back to like nothing is at stake here other than like my own personal experience like sort of moving through these emotions um I've actually gotten really into um writing as well <laughs> um and this is a very new realm for me and it's been excruciatingly hard like I'll write something and that, so I have this one story in mind that I've been like, has just been brewing in my head for like a year and a half now. And it's like, I'll sit down, I'll write and I'll throw it away. Like over and over and over and over. <laughs> and again, I feel like it's that like perfection mindset, like, which is directly at odds with being creative, right? Like if we're going to really embrace a creative life or a creative outlook on something like, we have to also embrace, I don't know that failure is necessarily the right word, but certainly imperfection. Um, and so for me, it's almost become like an obsession for me is like, like putting myself in these situations that I know are going to not be perfect and like kind of forcing myself to sit in that discomfort um, because I want to... I do think that there is like a strong creative force within me, but I know that it can't really like exist while I'm still wrapped with these strong demons of perfectionism. Oh my gosh. I hate this internet connection. Can you say from, you know, that you have <laughs> a strong, you have a strong, oh, how did you put it really beautifully? That you have a strong impulse for creativity, but it can't happen mm -hmm. until. Yeah. That's where you broke. So I, I mean, <laughs> Damn you, internet. So, <laughs> Stop interrupting. So I, I feel like I do have this like strong sort of creative life force. Um, but I also recognize that 
it cannot really coexist with this sort of mantle of perfectionism that I've been carrying with me for most of my life. I just want to say I'm so excited to hear that you're doing all these other things. And I can really, really relate to what you said. Like, that's really why... I mean, the first question I got when I was doing my MFA is like, oh, do you compose music? And I just want to validate ev- literally everything you said makes me feel validated <laughs> because very early on in my life, yeah, very early on as a very young person, I remember having this realization. I was like, because I would see musicians who didn't know how to read sheet music, had never gone to school, but they could like sit down and somehow make stuff up or like sit in with a band and and that their experience of music was so different from mine. It was about connecting with each other. There was like joy and and openness and mm-hmm. and so like when I first started improvising I was also extremely emotional. Like I I went to a, a Mike, do you, do you know the cellist Mike Block? He's, mm-hmm. yeah, so he has like a string camp and I went to that and it was miserable. It was so terrible. Not because yeah. the experiences there were terrible, but just what you said. It was like, I am expert at this thing, but yeah. I cannot do this seemingly simple rudimentary thing. Like I, I literally don't, I'm like frozen. I can't do anything. And so I yeah. too have like, I just like you said, I for so long I felt like there's like this thing in me that's trying to get out. Mm-hmm. And and then I too was also like, I must not be a creative person because I'm doing a creative pursuit, right? Everybody says, You're you have such a gift, you're so creative. And I didn't feel particularly creative. Yeah. Um, I felt very disciplined, I felt very focused, I felt very like aware of um, aesthetics and I think there's a lot of theoretical knowledge in the way that you and I were trained in classical I mean I think that things are changing a little bit but at least the training that I had didn't was not asking me what I thought and what mm-hmm. I felt and what I wanted to make you know and so for me I I've also like I I'm actually curious now in, in this next chapter I feel like oh I, I'm feeling a little urge to come back to the violin differently and that's been very strange and wonderful but I don't think I could have done that initially because the the shadow of of my experience as a young performer was just too it's too intense I you know there was no room as you said fail I I think it is fail there was no room for failure there's such a clear delineation between success and failure I mean I think that's the other kind of crazy thing too is just like that's not really, I mean, that's not really how art works, right? But yet in this very rigid world that we grew up in, it was that black and white, you know? Um, and why do you think that there is such resistance to talking about some of the things we've mentioned in, in, this, in this classical music culture? Things like mm-hmm. vulnerability, we've touched on mental health issues. I certainly experienced burnout. Um, loneliness. I mean, I, I struggle with self-loathing too. That's very connected mm-hmm. to this idea of like this thing, like if I miss a shift, it's like a knife in the gut. It's like, I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a shitty person, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I wonder, because I mean, as we sort of mentioned in our last conversation too, there is this, um, the pursuit of perfection, which in and of itself is not a terrible thing. There's something beautiful about it. And you see it in, you know, athletic pursuits, for example, with elite athletes. But 
they all have at least i mean you know not all but the most elite of them and certainly the ones who have sponsors and resources have mm -hmm. a whole team around them um that is invested so much in their mental health and the mental game of yeah. of uh success really um and i think that's starting to be a discussion that's having you know that's happening in classical music but it hasn't historically yeah. been something. So I'm just curious from you as now a medical doctor, but also somebody who experienced this very like rarefied world. Why, why do you think there's such resistance to it? I think there, I mean, historically, I think there's almost been a sort of, I don't know what the right word is, but it's sort of like, kind of like a tribalism around, um, around, just like the the most high performing kind of echelon of classical music. And I think there is this really misguided idea that if you're there, like if you've gotten there, like it just is par for the course that that is the thing that you always want to be doing. Like, I just think there's not a lot of discussion about like, what if I just don't feel like playing my instrument for a week, you know? Um, I, I think there's just this real uh, stigma, um, kind of fixed belief around this is just the thing you have to love all the time. And like, that's not really realistic for any profession, you know, um, but I think there's something about, there's just something specific about, especially about classical music that is like, you should just always want to be doing this. And I actually think a lot of the stuff we've talked about would be so much easier for people if they didn't feel this like vice grip of like, I should always be loving this, you know, cause that was part of my own struggle too, was like, I woke up one day and didn't feel like playing the cello, you know, I felt, <laughs> and, and it, that felt so profoundly not okay. Um, and I think it was, a lot of my depression centered around that conflict of like, I don't, I don't have joy doing this right now. Like clearly there's something wrong with me, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was so funny, like for years when I was struggling with my own and I feel like I still, I don't think I really have stepped away from it, but I think, you know, this podcast and doing the MFA and there are these like little tiny, I'm so risk averse that there are little tiny things that I've done because I couldn't stand that feeling that I had in me of of being trapped. But I've also had people say, most of them people who are well-meaning and but haven't had the experiences that you and I have had. Yeah. And it's very simple for them. They're sort of like, well, if you don't love it, then stop doing it, you know? <laughs> and then the flip side of that, the other side of that coin too is, um, oh, you must love it. Like how wonderful, right. that's such a thing after concerts, how wonderful your life must be that you get to do this thing you love. Mm. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I love it. I mean, mm. I've done it my whole life and I don't, it's like, is this love? I don't know. And, but um, yeah, this, I, I don't know if you, I, there's not really a question in there other than I wonder if you'd ever had that experience, especially as you were pivoting, like, did people ever just say to you, like, um, well, I guess it would have been on both sides. Like, why are you leaving? You've talked a little bit about that, like the resistance you felt there, but also people who maybe didn't understand why it was hard to leave or why it was challenging, like maybe your family or 
I don't know. Because I, yeah. I definitely faced that and continue to face that where people are just sort of like, why? But why? You're so good at it. <laughs> definitely that came up a lot. Like, you're so good at it. Why would you leave? Um, there was a lot of like, I don't know. I think there is this idea that people have who haven't kind of lived the actual life of a musician where it's like, it's somehow easy. And they're like, why would you stop doing this thing? That's like so effortless for you to do something that's like really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there was also um, kind of a, I mean, there was always the like, Oh, you must just like not be making enough money to live. You know, there was like that approach. That's nice. <laughs> and then, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then I think there were just people who were like, oh, this is not going to be a lasting, like, you're going to come back to doing these. I think there, I felt a lot of um, people sort of made an assumption that I would sort of dabble in something else for a little while and then come back. Um, Do you have... I mean, I'm so excited. I want to read your writing, by the way. Don't throw them away. What you're doing is you're writing drafts. <laughs> That's what you're doing. Yeah. You're doing the practice. <laughs> Don't throw them away. You'll want them later. But um, I'm so excited to hear that you're writing, too. Um, but do you have a relationship to music right now in your life? I mean, you're so busy. and Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, so kind of around the time that I was grappling with this depression, I mean, I was still playing concerts then. Um, but like when I went to medical school, um, I actually couldn't really listen to classical music at all. Like it was just too raw for me. And I just could derive no enjoyment out of it (laughs) at all. Um, which felt really sad, but life was so crazy at that point that I kind of just accepted it and didn't really listen to classical music at all. And I remember like being in school, you know, I would tell people that I'd been a musician before going to medical school and everyone would always be like, Oh, it must be so relaxing. You can like go home and play the cello and unwind. Oh my God, people. And I'm like, wow, there is like nothing that could be less relaxing for me. <laughs> <laughs> Taking the cello out after not practicing for, you know, however many months and just, you know, that's not relaxing. Like, yeah, it's relaxing. Um, <laughs> and so I think that was kind of the initial phase. And then like a couple of years after I started medical school, um, I started being able to actually listen to classical music again and like legitimately enjoy the experience. And, um, that felt really nice because it had been a kind of a long time since I had been able to do that. Um, and now I think the idea of actually, I mean, I still have my cello. So like the, the idea of pulling the cello out and, and playing music is not, um, it's not a negative thought for me. It's kind of like a neutral to slightly positive thought. I think, um, I think my question right now is like, what does that actually look like? I mean, I live in a small community. Um, I don't really like practice regularly. I I could imagine a scenario where if there was like a small group of people who I could 
like read chamber music with or something that that might be fun. Um, but I still don't really know if it would be fun or stressful. Like, I'm not really sure, you know, if, if I would actually enjoy it. Um, so I, I'm trying to be really patient with that, that kind of, um, with that question of whether or not I can really fully enjoy playing the cello again. Um, it's kind of crazy because although there are things about like being on stage that I miss, and I think there's a certain sense of like, I was so good at this thing, you know, and there's, there was something that felt really good about that. Um, if I'm really honest with myself, like I don't really miss playing the cello that much. And it's, been very hard for me to actually like accept and own <laughs> that truth. Um, but it is, it is the truth. Um, and so I, I think I'm hopeful that at some point I'll feel the urge to, to start making music again. Um, but I know that's something that I can't really force. It's going to have to sort of happen on its own. The ideals that we've been raised to embrace the, the, the feeling that like, we are one with our instrument and that we love it in this unconditional, fully, you know, 24 seven way. Um, and then to not have that experience again mm -hmm. is something like, I don't, I've never heard anybody say that like to me, you know, <laughs> like, and um, yeah. it's really important for me to hear that and to be like, Oh, my relationship with the violin doesn't have to be this all encompassing, obsessive, singular thing you said that you kept playing while you were studying and was there anything about going through, you know, pre-med and med school and, and through that whole change that you were making, that transition that you were making, did that change how you played the cello? I do think, um, I think because I was really focused, I mean, this sounds kind of terrible, but I think because I was so focused on this other area of my life, I was less, obsessive about um the things that happened on stage and I think I did feel a little bit more freedom and a little bit less fear on stage than I had before and that was good I mean that was good um it wasn't enough to sort of keep me um but it was sort of relieving to not feel so so much pressure every time I got out on stage Totally. Same for me, because I felt like by doing these tiny little experiments, I started to realize, as you said, when we started talking that, that, that there was a version of me that was separate from playing the violin. And the paradox, or the irony was that by doing these things that seemed to take me away from the practice room, actually, yeah. I started to play better. <laughs> <laughs> because I wasn't holding on so tight and I also realized that it was okay like it would be okay if I wasn't perfect um yeah. I still struggle with that so much because I, I feel on some basic level I feel like that's the foundational issue of my life that I actually don't really believe it's okay not to be perfect um mm -hmm. but yeah I'm also yeah. sorry go ahead <laughs> No, I said you and me both. <laughs> it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, we get so, you know, we're very practiced at thinking that way. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that um, that really deep kind of primal 
feeling that I think we both share from, it was probably ingrained in us, like before we even really had fully conscious thoughts that, that perfection equaled worthiness is like, I mean, it's been the biggest struggle of my life and continues to be to, to work against that, to, to, to try to evolve beyond that really debilitating fear. Yeah, it is really debilitating. Mm-hmm. I, and yeah, I mean, that's sort of why this podcast has been so important to me because <laughs> I'm able to ask these questions that I feel like I feel like we're all asking these questions, but we're not asking them in real life because mm-hmm. some there's something in in the the culture or something that's like not making that easily possible so i'm just doing this very selfishly for me like you know when i edit these <laughs> when i edit these interviews i feel super like I, f- I feel like i'm sort of trying to reprogram myself and also like heal that part of me a little bit and also honor the things that i have gained from it as well you know because i think it is hard it's i don't know if it's been this way for you but one of the great challenges too has been not feeling as though all those years were for naught or, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think, like, I remember getting to college and, I mean, obviously meeting lots of, like, amazing, really smart people and having this thought where I was just like, all I've done is played the cello. Like, <laughs> You know, like, and I'm pretty good at school, but like all I've done is play the cello, you know, and that was really sad for me because I was like, you know, what if, what if I had done other things, you know, um, I think my, the way I've kind of grappled with that issue has been a, that like, there's a lot of things that I can do now in my life. You know, um, I think the, the letting go of the sort of vice grip around, like I have to be a classical musician has allowed me to embrace a lot of other experiences, um, maybe a little bit later in life than other people. Um, but maybe all of that is a little bit more meaningful in a way because it's just so intentional at this phase in my life, you know, like, and, like just thinking about the amount of growth and change that's happened for me in the last uh, 15 years. Um, it's pretty like, that's pretty cool, you know? Um, and I think it helps me be a better person and daughter and sister and physician and, you know, all those things. Um, so I, I try to, I think I think in the past I've, I've kind of lamented the idea of just sort of like lost time. Um, but I think at this point I don't really feel like that anymore. And now, I mean, you mentioned you live in a small town now, and I'm curious if you can talk about what some of the gifts you are experiencing of, of making that choice. The town that I live in is, has about, 40,000 people. <laughs> um, and I've, I've lived in a lot of big cities. I lived in Boston and New York. And then I did my residency training in Portland, um, which is not really a big city, but it's still a city. And I kind of felt this strong desire after residency to, I think, sort of anticipating this 
desire to explore and embrace sort of my creative life, I felt like I would need to kind of slow or quiet down a lot of other things outside of my realm. Um, I do feel like since moving here, I've just had a lot more time and space to experiment with things like writing and painting. And um, there's a certain simplicity, I think, to just living in a place that isn't where there's not always something happening that I feel like I need to go to. And part of that is just my own, I think I'm very easily like, uh, I, I just very easily get excited about stuff that's happening. And I think living in a smaller place has forced me to kind of um, do a little bit more inner work, I think, um, because there's not as much external stimuli. Just a little bit more simplicity has helped me a lot too in kind of figuring out what are the things that really matter to me that I want to devote my time to when I'm not working? As I mentioned, I'm very sort of selfishly made this podcast for myself. Um, mm -hmm. I have no idea if it's resonating with anybody. There's some small kind of thrilling indication that for some people it is. Mm -hmm. um, it's too early to say, but <laughs> but it's my hope that this podcast would have, you know, if it had existed, it would have been the kind of resource that I wish had been around when I was younger. Um, a lot of our conversation is around sort of looking back and reflecting. So my question is, what advice would you give to your younger self, to little Sarah, if you could have a chance to sit down, talk to her, and, and th what would you tell her to help her on her journey? That's a great question. I think I had this idea in my head, especially when I was kind of between the ages of like 15 and 20, that there was this real um, and very serious sort of time issue. There was like this like ticking clock, you know, that was working against me. And so I had to do as many things as possible, as soon as possible in order to create a worthwhile and fulfilling musical career. And in hindsight, when I, when I look at the people who I know who are still in music, who are really happy <laughs> um, and have, and have created lives for themselves that are fulfilling, it's the people who didn't have that feeling of time pressure. Um, I think during those very formative years, I mean, I think, that sort of late adolescence period is a real potential time for growth and exploration. And I think if there's one thing that would have helped me a lot, I think it would have been knowing that it would be okay if I needed to take a little bit of time away from the cello, like it wouldn't sabotage my career, you know, for the rest of my adult life. Um, but I, I remember feeling that so strongly. It's like just going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Um, and I wish that that hadn't been the way I felt in hindsight. Yeah, I felt the same way too. I was really terrified of turning 20. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be over the hill at 20. Yeah. And there were a lot of things. I mean, that wasn't just me being obsessive. And there was, these were real messages I was getting. Yeah, yeah. So I think I, I, think I would also say that to a younger version of me try lots of things there's time and yeah but we're also I think I think things have changed a lot too I mean I think mm -hmm. people I think people are defining success and happiness in different ways I think 
people are having careers that have different different chapters to them or different um i think people reinvent themselves more often now than they used to yeah well i want to say that i think you're amazing i i want to come to your house and play chamber music with you let's do it can i come over (laughs) (laughs) and i want to see your dogs can i see your dogs oh my gosh i heard them i heard a a shake i'm like oh was it is it my milo is one of them yes milo and gus yeah those are such good dog names thank you to today's guest sarah carter visit my blog isitrecessyet.com to subscribe to my mailing list for regular updates and also for the show notes If you liked this episode, please subscribe to Is It Recess Yet? on Apple Podcasts and iTunes and share it with a friend or write a review and rate this podcast to help build the Is It Recess Yet? community and to find like-minded listeners. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time.